Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for us to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California as we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving the market today to find the best solutions forward with the man who seems to know, if he doesn't know the solutions, he knows the people that does. Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul. Thanks. Uh, we're back here again, and we're going to talk some more real estate. I'm Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and Saywitz Properties. And in my 30-plus years in commercial real estate, I've been on all sides of the deal as a seller and a buyer, as a landlord and a tenant, as a broker and a principal. And I've learned to take a hard look at both sides to find the best real estate solutions in commercial real estate and try and navigate the ebbs and flows of the market. And so today is no different. We're going to do it again. And let's talk real estate. Before we get going today, I want to do a shout out to my son, Ryan, who has a very big AP psychology test this morning. And so he was up late studying. I was trying to help, but uh, neurons and endorphins were enough to send me to therapy and trying to, to study them. So go get them and good luck on the test. Uh, with us today is uh, Stephen Gordon, who is the CEO and chairman of Genesis Bank and has a long history of banking and investment banking. And uh, we're going to talk commercial real estate. We're going to talk banking. We're going to talk lending and whatever other stuff we can make up. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, first I want to start, I mean, you've been in, in banking and as a result of that around commercial real estate for a long, long time. If we go back your original sort of career, if you will, was in New York and Wall Street in investment banking, and then you forayed into the, the banking side of things. And in today's world, how is it different trying to come out of the COVID and, and dealing with all of that stuff uh, versus beforehand? Well, actually, it's it's extremely different. Everything has changed. The way one works, the way one goes about doing business, the way one communicates, it's all changed. And from the banking standpoint, uh, nobody walks into a branch anymore. I don't know when somebody last walked into that brick and mortar. And um, even the elders have learned how to use technology and had no choice. You know, everybody's learned how to transfer, wire, pay bills, uh, do all of their banking, in a sense, online or mobile. And, um, and what I thought was going to take five years to transition basically took overnight. And you never hear about anybody... You know, having to file for bankruptcy protection because they were unable to wire the money or pay right. the bills online or mobile during the last year and a half. Everybody functions. So it's it's all changed. And and the timing of launching Genesis Bank has, you know, it, it really walked in with, you know, no legacy technology, no legacy platforms, no legacy physical infrastructure. Yeah. And, and in your previous history, which is a long one, and I might add a very successful one, uh, in building, founding, and developing um, Opus Bank and uh, Fremont Investment Alone and, and seeing those and building those to a, a very large organization. Uh, I guess one of my questions with Genesis Bank is why now, why this bank, and, and what's the plan for Genesis Bank? As you know, Opus Bank grew into being quite a you know, quite an institution here on the West Coast. You know, we, we grew it from an idea on a piece of paper back on uh, September 30 of 10, 2010, when it was launched. And uh, we grew it to being over $8 billion in total assets and 50 locations up and down the whole West Coast and 800 bankers. And, um, and, and the institution was coveted by a number of financial institutions out there, those who wanted to acquire the institution. 
And uh, January of 2020, just before COVID, Mm -hmm. it was announced that the bank was being acquired by a different bank, by a larger bank that was publicly traded and and overlapped in some of the same markets and wanted to be in some of the same markets that we were in and and acquire complementary synergistic businesses. Then along came COVID. uh, Let's call it the world shut down mid-March of 2020. And the acquisition of Opus actually finalized, closed on June 1st of 2020. That gap in between was a monumental moment. The world was shut down. Everyone was trying to figure out how to function within the economy. And, um, and no one knew exactly what this economy was going to be. Right. And I'm guessing you were happy to head for the door at that well, point. I was glad to be out. You know, it seems like I've had this pattern over my, my career of I generally see when an economic cycle is going to hit. And then, you know, the, I sell the bank just prior to the cycle. And I can't say that, you know, that, that that's what I saw here. No one saw COVID coming. Yeah. And, and no one saw the, the impact that COVID was going to have economically you know, on, on the U.S. and world economy. But what I found happening was that I was, um, I was hosting Zoom calls here in Orange County with 250 business owners at a time that were trying to figure out how to navigate their way through their own bank or how to navigate their way through the SBA or how to navigate their way through PPP. Right. And I remember getting off one Zoom call and I kind of broke into tears because I was feeling like the pain and carnage that everybody was experiencing, that they were suffering through. And I recognized that that was just a small microcosm of what must have been happening nationwide. I was in between banks. I didn't have a bank where I could actually be impactful and make a difference at that moment. So I expedited a process with the regulators, the governmental regulators, both the state of California and the FDIC, to apply to be, start another bank. And, um, and as I said, that transaction, the acquisition of Opus, closed officially on June 1st. And on June 5th of 2020, so four days later, I filed the application with both the state of California and, and the FDIC. And that was approved by the state of California five months later and two months after that by the FDIC. And that normally takes anywhere between a year and a half and two years and we went through the process very, very quickly. There was a need for that new bank to emerge with a clean balance sheet and the ability to truly be impactful. Yeah, and so you took a long weekend, <laughs> sold one bank, and started up another one. Is what it sounds like. Well, it was it was a you know there was a lot of thinking about it for for about a year, and uh, and then I accelerated the whole process when when you know the whole devastation hit. Sure, and, and so when you talk about all these business owners. And what they're struggling, I'm, I'm right there, right? I'm, I'm one of those guys. And then that struggle for the business owner certainly filters down to the struggle of its employees, uh, just trying to keep things going and keep food on the table and try and navigate their own uh, way through things. What are you hearing now from uh, uh, clients of the bank in terms of where they're headed? And, and is it – I'm guessing certain industries are really doing well and certain other industries are struggling with supply chain issues and others are just still struggling in general to try and get back on their feet? Well, ironically, when, whenever something like, like in the case of COVID hits or an economic cycle hits, what ends up happening is while you just mentioned that the, the principal – you know, ends up going through a struggle and, and a day of analysis and figuring out, like, all right, what does this all mean and how do I navigate going forward? You know, banks end up doing the same thing. And you would think that you could turn to the bank and they'd be there to back you, support you on where you're going. 
quite often when an economic cycle hits, the bank goes through a period of carnage analysis, if you want to call it. Yeah. At the same time, they got to figure out what their balance sheet now looks like. And in the same way that the client struggles, that ends up turning into a struggle for a bank. So they end up internally focused rather than going proactively to make a difference. Um, what, what I'm seeing now that we've launched Genesis, you know, everybody is back to being very active. You know, they're being uh, very aggressive about their activities. They're being opportunistic. And, um, and the financial system is flush with cash. So, so here we are at record low interest rates, trickling around back and forth a little bit with you know, potential upside direction in terms of rates. But we're in a unique, interesting economy. It's feeling like inflation is alive and well again. And, um, and, and people are, I think, trying to navigate rapidly into doing things before rates you know, really kind of take off, especially in this real estate world. Right. So if we, if we sort of dovetail that, I, I think what I've seen, I'm curious your take, is we have now started to see people be able to be comfortable to make longer-term commitments, whether that's in their own business planning or whether that's in uh, lending or borrowing. And, mm-hmm. and so now you do have people trying to take advantage for those that, that can make longer-term decisions, and, and we've enacted that strategy in our own company's business plan. And so if, if I dovetail that into the commercial real estate market, what is your uh, – not that anyone has the crystal ball, but what is your expectation in terms of where you think interest rates will be over the next 6 to 12 months, and how does that affect – what happens in the commercial real estate market uh, if banks do have money and are still willing to lend it at aggressive rates? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bifurcate that for a second and take a step back and then forward. If I'm whichever mad. way you want to step, school okay. with me. So, <laughs> so, so you've got you've got your traditional businesses, and then you've got real estate investors. And Southern California, you know, as long as I've lived out here from New York, I've always been concerned about California being so real estate centric. And whenever a real estate bubble hits, a cycle hits, credit cycle hits, it takes down core business with it and and kind of sinks the Southern California economy, dragging it down with wherever real estate goes. And and that's always been a little concerning. And, and I've always tried to make sure that you know, I'm putting capital back into the, the system and enabling businesses, core businesses to expand and grow. Let's just call them widget manufacturers. Yeah. And I'm seeing on that side that people are making investment. They're expanding. They're looking to be um, um, more aggressive about their activities, their business activities, you know, as, as especially as coming out of COVID. Maybe we are, maybe we're not, but it feels like we're coming out of COVID. And, and they're not as nervous in their planning, right? So they're planning sure. to move forward. On the real estate side, crystal ball, you know, I've always, I grew up in a school of investment banking where my mentor in life always said, whenever he was asked about where interest rates are going to go, he'd say they're either going to go higher or lower or stay unchanged. But you got to be able to build a business that is resilient regardless of what interest rates do. You don't want to be totally dependent on interest rates. Right now, I think it's about liability management. You know, so it's about managing that cost of funds, that funding cost, that the debt that one has on their real estate and and taking advantage of the fact that rates are so low. Well, in, if, let's use the example of lease rates, rent rates, you know, keep on increasing and that's creating inherent you know, latent equity or capital in those right. properties. So taking advantage of that. I do think now rates are going to work their way higher while the Fed is trying to get into a position of having 
full employment, um, a stronger, more resilient economy, and still being uncertain as to whether whether the the economic the increase in inflation that is appearing now, whether that is temporary or whether that's where we're really going. Right. And and the question of that has to do with you know we all know that during COVID factories around the world were closed. You know you I think that the the auto dealership world is an interesting leading economic indicator. There's no supply. Right. Now you go and drive by an auto dealer and the lots are relatively empty. And, and there's a chip shortage. And that's impacting everything from appliances to you know, God knows what. I mean, you, chips are in almost everything today. So you know, getting supply, getting product, and pure supply demand, prices are going higher. Right? But that's impacting everything across the board from food to gasoline to you know shipping costs. So if everything goes up, and real estate's really no different, right? You have prices for, I don't care whether it's uh, industrial buildings or apartment buildings or even homes, uh, they're at all-time highs. Then the question that people say is, should I go refinance? And I say, sure, just do it within reason and don't over-leverage yourself. But then the flip side of it is, should I buy or should I just wait and, and wait for the bubble and then see what happens, which I'm, I'm not a big fan of because who knows when the bubble comes. Well, I'm also not a big fan of what real estate investors are starting to do, which is they're leaving their core markets that they're very familiar with and they're going into markets that they're less familiar with than maybe cheaper markets. And those markets tend to be even more volatile, more cyclical. Like we've all seen, you know, Phoenix periodically disappears. Right. We've all seen Vegas periodically goes out of business. And Texas periodically goes out of business as well. So apartment investors, as an example, you know, I'm seeing significant apartment investors who own anywhere between five and 15,000 apartment units. You know, now all of a sudden, or not so suddenly, it's been going on for a while, looking into the Vegas market, looking into the Phoenix market, looking into Texas. And the core markets that they know where they know every building, every street corner, every seller, every buyer, every broker, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, they're heading into other markets that they don't know quite the same way. Yeah, And, and they, that's, and that's always they, concerning when that happens. And I think they do that because you're looking at a two or a three cap here in Orange County or yeah. Southern California, and you're looking at a reasonable return of, you know, five or six or seven percent in someplace else. And then you have to balance that. Right. right. And so. But I feel like that's someplace else. You got a time right. Yeah. And then it's also a question of what is your MO and, and who are you and what are you buying? Because if you're the smaller to midsize investor, are you buying for cash flow or are you buying for increased value? Mm -hmm. We've talked about it on other shows. Look, if you buy something today and you sit on it for 30 years, chances are it's going to go up and you're going to do well. It may go down and up in the interim, but eventually it should be worth more. If you rewind and look at Orange County 30 years ago, if you bought stuff, you're a hero today. Right. So the, the issue then becomes if you're – just okay with a very nominal cash flow today, uh, then you, you should stay here and buy some more stuff. If you really are cash flow oriented, then you need to go to other places because you're just not going to find it here. And, and, and the quality of the product that you're seeing today, unless you're building from the ground up, you're going to need to go in and fix it up. It's just you're buying somebody else's older property that they haven't taken care of and they're selling to you at the top of the market. Well, you know, you're bringing up a <clears throat> very interesting point and, and, you know, it, I think it also has to do with the age demographic of that real estate investor. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who's who's you know been doing it for many many decades, who has seen many cycles and many boom bust you know events, you know, probably is just going to stay it out, stay it through, and go through the. Yeah, and they're probably a cash flow investor. 
right? And and they're not about a short term appreciation play. You know, the the younger generation, you know, they've seen this this concept that it works well when it does, which is the ability to you know turn the tendency, increase the rents, and increase the value, and then pull out all the equity right, and go it. buy another property and sell it, right? So there's a huge amount of money chasing that strategy. And, and that's a very short-term play, a very short-term strategy, near-term you know, returns. And I think that's wonderful as long as it works. And I know people that are backed by you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of partners' money, private equity money. And they're, let's use the example of Texas. They're going to Texas and they're saying to the brokers, show me everything. I will buy everything. And their strategy is they're two to three years. Yeah. And, you know, and that's it. And Texas looks cheap. Relative to California. So everything looks cheap. Right. Relative that, to California. Is true. that is true. <laughs> or coastal California. And, and right. no different than you have people in L.A. buying stuff out in the Inland Empire or out in Palm Springs. And for them, it's, it's all a relative term. And, right. And so, so the, the question I have for you is, is there a correlation? I mean, you have the stock market at an all-time high. Really? And, and, and I'm still – I don't have any answers as to – where that one's going or figuring it out. You have the real estate at an all-time high and you have interest rates at an all-time low. Is there some dynamic that sort of shifts the mindset of people that, hey, it's just not going to go up forever? Market, the stock market, the real estate market. Is there something that's that's looming or coming, whether it's from Washington, whether it's from Sacramento, or or just a cycle in the market that you can see? Well, I can say that Every day that goes by, we're getting closer and closer to some sort of an economic cycle. And that's not profound. That's just like, you know, it's just a statement, right? Yeah. Every day we're heading towards that moment. But I don't know when that moment is. You know, there, we're in an unprecedented time where the, where the government is pumping huge amounts of money back into the consumer, back into the, you know, the business environment, back into the economy. You know, we would never do that in our personal lives. Yeah. Right? We would never run our personal lives where we are just debt on top of debt on top of debt, running, you know, running a, um, a negative cash flow business. We would never do it. Right. Right. Uh, right. But that's the way our U.S. government operates. And as long as there's someone out there to buy the bonds, you know, Treasury bonds, you know, we're good. So all the all the economies around the world are keeping each other afloat while keeping interest rates near zero. Right. So that that's a lot of gas on the fire. That's a lot of fuel. And. And, and I think there are people that are not necessarily qualified or skilled or experienced taking advantage of that. So the money that, that went to the person who, who stayed at home and didn't go back to work and that check that they got every month, but they didn't really need it necessarily. A lot of them did, but some didn't. And, and they run around and they're buying cryptocurrencies or whatever with that money. And, you know, and it's crazy. But that's what's going on in this country. You know, money, it, the government is fueling the ability to really turn this thing on. And, 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 and I think you still have uh, some of that going on, and the government continues to fuel it. I mean, it's, Biden signed the bill the other day with the infrastructure bill. Yeah. So you're going to put well, – the good news is you'll put a bunch of people to work, and the good news is you'll get older roads and bridges fixed. But you, as you've said, you've just basically taken money you don't have and thrown it into the mix. Right. While still keeping interest rates at zero. Right. But there's a lot of uncertainty out there still. Is there another wave of COVID coming? Is there another something? Is something going to blow up? You just don't know. So, so interest rates staying this low, I get it. And um, you know, no one wants to be you know, the one pushing up interest rates 
in in the face of something then turning in the economy at the same time. So, so how do you think that that plays into the banking industry as a whole? I mean, you have your own strategy and your own views, but I mean, the, there's larger banks out there that must be dealing with this and looking ahead and saying, where's our focus and what are we doing and how are we going to change our lending practices or, or gear towards what's going on? Well, all right. So, so one, the client always does the exact opposite or wants to do the exact opposite of what the bank wants to do. Yeah. And I say that because like interest rates are at zero. So Barry, you want to extend out on the yield curve and you want to get the longest, lowest rate you can get, right? You want to get you know, the lowest rate you can get fixed for the longest possible period of time. No question. And you probably also want a lot of interest only period, right? And then the bank wants floating, short-term, amortizing, that's the preference on the other side of the table. Right. So the bank generally ends up having to give the client what the client really wants to get, or they're turning the business away because there's always somebody racing to the bottom. Who's going to go chase it. Exactly. And, um, and that's problematic, right? But you got to be disciplined in here because at some point or another, you can't have it where only one side of the table wins. It's got to be that that partnership. And when you know when we're backing a client, we're truly partnering with the client. The starting of Genesis at the time that we did was more than just simply about putting money into the system at a rate for a period of time. It was really about you know having an impact, making a difference. And and I've done this a number of times, starting back in the early two thousands with Commercial Capital Bank, and then I was asked by the government and by Credit Suisse to come and clean up the problems that existed at Fremont General and Fremont Investment and Loan, and then launched Opus. And, and, and all of those were about building a bank, ripping apart a bank, restructuring a bank, turning it into a lot more than it could have been and on its own, and acquiring institutions and taking them public, et cetera. But now, you know, I really want to make a difference and, and have an impact in our in economies. And if you think about it, Southern California, Orange County, L.A. County, Riverside, San Bernardino are anywhere between 60 and 75 percent minority population. And a lot of that population was left behind during COVID and during every economic cycle we've experienced. So here, what I'm trying to do is is really partner with our communities and, and enable expansion and growth at the ground level. And, and have an impact you know, from a banking perspective, from a financial literacy perspective, from an educational perspective, from an idea generation perspective, and back, back those businesses and, and real estate investors and, and those with a passion for growing and expanding something yeah. and, and bringing the full force of the firm to them. And and we're if you think about so you're putting the money back to the people that yeah. are in the trenches basically and and making sure that the people that are out there and uh, have uh, the capital to be able to build their business. We just have one uh, minute left. I, I guess the, the one what, what would be the one thing going forward into 2022 that you would at least suggest or recommend to our viewers and listeners to keep an eye on that you think is really going to be a big thing uh, going forward that's going to help dictate what happens with the economy and ultimately back to the real estate market? I think that this inflation thing is real. And and if it does settle down, it's going to settle down at a higher level. I, I really don't think we're going to go back to where we were you know, two years ago, pre-COVID, in terms of price levels, in terms of um, wherever we were in inflation or deflation. We're going to continue with this supply-demand problem. And, and we're going to continue with valuation increase 
and then things may settle down, but at that newly adjusted level. Yeah. And, and I think people got to get used to that. And I think people need to adjust their lifestyles to it potentially and recognize that this is very real. And it's not going away and it's no. not going to solve itself in a day and it's not going to solve itself by uh, the president signing one piece of legislation. No, especially because I think we've got a real, you know, a real problem going on right now from a, you know, from a leadership standpoint in this country. Yeah. And, and I don't want to get political, although I think if we did, we'd probably have a lot more listeners and viewers <laughs> out there. But as always, I enjoy talking with you and getting your perspective on a whole host of things. And so uh, I do appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your opinions with us. And it'll be interesting to see how things develop going forward and, and wish you and uh, Genesis Bank all the success. Uh, and thanks again for coming on. Barry, thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. And so I want to also thank uh, Sophia, our producer, uh, Paul Roberts and the whole team here at OC Talk Radio. And as always, uh, we will be back again next week. We will talk more real estate. Thanks for listening in. I'm Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company, and we'll see you next week. have it you've been listening to let's talk real estate your weekly bs with barry saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in southern california on orange county's only community radio station oc talk radio streaming live from our studio here at the university of california irvine's beal applied innovation center